0: Hello there. Welcome to Talk HR UK. I'm Simon Gear and when I'm not talking to HR leaders on podcasts, I'm helping HR directors, MDs and CEOs source and recruit the best HR talent in the southeast of the UK, as you hopefully already know. Today I'm delighted to be joined by someone I've known a long time. This is Gavin Russell. Hello Gavin. Hi, hi, I see Simon. And you, sir and you. So I met Gavin uh, back in March 2009, which is a long time ago um at that point i think gavin you just left pa consulting yes um so you had been working in a a, a sort of talent acquisition leadership role um through businesses like foxtel dtz centrica and edf yeah um uh, when we met and and certainly you went on to work for some fantastic uh, well-known brands and some less so so people like skype obviously who uh, at one point owned that market, and now um, I'm conscious we're not on one of their products now, so uh, <laughs> things change. <laughs> uh, yeah, I promise. <laughs> but you know, parts of AMS, Zapster, and obviously now you are doing your own thing. So uh, really, if you uh, want to take a moment to tell us a little bit, you know, to start off with about what, what you do now and and your field of work, please. Sure. Well, what I do now is, is really very much
1: a continuation of what you talked about, and it might help if I give you a little bit of context. Right. Most of the, the work that you just described, kindly, was I, I was going to recruitment functions and I was doing um, a range of change work. So that could have been turnaround, that could have been scale, that could have been set up. Right? So I, I did a lot of that and I loved it and I got a lot out of it. And then um, I moved more into the uh, management consulting side, so the full talent lifecycle. Um, but then I, I, I ended up writing a book, which I think I probably threw at you at one stage. There we go. Um, And I published that July of last year. And that was really very much a culmination of um, frustration. And we might come on to that in the rest of our conversation. Um, I wrote this book very much as a a cathartic process, but as a desire to help uh, the HR community. And then I set up my own business, a company called Pepper Moth, and how I describe it, simply innovation,
0: evolution within the talent space. Excellent. Thank you. And I should say, I've nearly finished this. I haven't just bought it and ignored it. So, and it's been fantastic. It's been, one of, it's been my serious lockdown read, I like to read out, alongside some, some lighter-hearted stuff. Good. Well, I'm, g- I'm glad you mixed it with some lighter-hearted stuff. I did. But no, I, I recommend it. For people watching and listening, I, I do recommend Transformation Time Bomb by Gavin Russell. There you go. You. Available from all good booksellers. I got it from Amazon.
1: As long as it's Amazon.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, excellent. So thank you for the intro. So... We're going to dive straight in. I mean, we, Gavin and I spoke a little bit before we decided to do this, and we were, I think we, we kind of titled this, you know, why HR needs to become a leader before it can become a partner. Um, but boiling it down, I think my first question has to be, what, what's wrong with HR, Gavin? What's not working? Wow. Uh, it feels like quite a negative way to start. Um, I
1: think uh, there's a lot that's right about HR and a lot to be proud of. Um, but my perspective is it's our um, operating model, our operating system um, that is not keeping pace with the changing demand of modern business, in a nutshell.
0: Okay. So tell, tell me a bit more about the, the changing demands. I know that, that comes up yeah. in your book a lot. What, what, what's changing?
1: So we'll all be familiar. I mean, we, we know about speed. <laughs> we know agility is the word that uh, has been on everyone's lips for a couple of years now. Uh, but we also have you know, customer experience, innovation, long-term relationships, loyalty, trust. We know that the commercial world has changed hugely over the last 10 years. And we call it the digital age, but roughly speaking, it's the last 10 years um, uh, since the turn of uh, the noughties to the teens. Um, and so business has become a lot more about um, increasing revenue and a lot less about decreasing costs because of all those those changes and and that has a huge knock-on effect on on HR so you've got compressed windows that businesses need to operate in so they need to find more people with the right skills at the right time to exploit opportunities or defend against threats Um, increasing demand increasing complexity means that there needs to be new structures new workflows new new processes new um, systems to keep up with the volume the variety and the velocity of that change you've got the half-life of skills that's plummeting. So that means you've got to find new ways of developing your competence and your capability and your capacity because you can't have large permanent workforces anymore. The the cost metrics don't add up. Um, And then you come back to um, people. And I talk about people being the key factor of production, and I know we'll come back to that later on, but you've got people who are, we've got to inspire distributed workforces to innovate, collaborate, and solve problems together. And there's a bunch of, of different demands
0: that are changing what it means, I believe, for HR. Thinking about those points and the, the challenges to the, to the modern, modern age, yeah. what's the impact? I mean, how does HR fix that? What's, what does it mean for HR, I suppose? So,
1: four things for me. Get ahead of demand. So I think we have to move away from this focus on the short term. And the focus on service and the focus on reactivity, because we can't wait. It's it's not. We don't have time, so we have to move away from the short termist. You know, the what's the problem of today, and think much right. more strategically, long term, and get ahead of that curve. Um, we need obviously to be agile, and I, I I kind of cringe a little bit when I say agile because everyone says it, but it, it's a truism. Faster moving businesses need faster moving workforces. So what does HR need to do to? Make a faster moving workforce. Um, Culture. Now, we've talked about culture a lot um, over the last decade. But I don't think people are really getting how much we need to invest in culture. Because we've got to unite increasingly with distributed teams. We've got to improve that collaboration. We've got to improve that innovation. And that really, culture is is the glue that does all of that. And I think we've not perhaps invested as much as we could have done in that side. And the last bit is distributed leadership. with the complication with the complexity with the demand with the you know with new competitors we can't funnel everything up through a single point of contact or a dozen points of contact we need to be much better in inculcating autonomous leadership throughout our organization and i just kind of for me I, i don't think a lot of hr models really the penny's not dropped for a lot of them on that on that front. We still like, adhered or, or were geared towards those old definitions of HR value, you know, task, service, compliance, sure. uh, policy. Um, and that, that doesn't enable talent to do their best work. That doesn't enable businesses to get the max, maximum value. But importantly, it doesn't enable brilliant HR people to
0: add the value that they're capable of doing. They're mm-hmm. restricted by their operating system. That's an interesting point. I- I mean I suppose in, in my experience, I, I've obviously been recruiting in this market for you know too long, best part of 20 years now. And in that time, it's all been about the business partner model. Every, everything has been moving towards that. I, I suspect over the last five to eight years, some organizations have been moving towards this agile piece, as you mentioned, and a few of the real big financial services institutions have have led the way there. But that I, I still live in that business partner and, and business partner model space. What's what's the point of it, I suppose? You know what why, why does it exist, first of all, in your opinion? What, what do you think it's, what, why has it become the, the, the kind of fait accompli for structures? Um, well, I think it is founded
1: in a fundamental necessity, and that is the connection of, of people to value, you know, commerce. Um, and I, I think business partnering is probably just as relevant today as it ever has been, if not more so. Right. Uh, you know, I started out, Um, You know, I read Ulrich, HR Value Proposition, it's up on the shelf behind me, I think, (laughs) uh, in the early noughties, I think he wrote it in 97, I I probably read it in 2003, 2004, something like that, and I totally got it, I thought it was brilliant, Mm. and I still do, I'm a fan of Ulrich, um, and I actually believe he was onto something really powerful there, um, in that he, he, you know, talking about the value of partnership, that confluence of where people meet the business and therefore how we extract value, how, how HR gets a much stronger understanding of what's going on in the organisation, how we can turn and direct talent to be able to operate in the most effective way. Mm. I think that's the point of HR, HRBP model is, is absolutely about that value extraction. And I think it has never been more necessary than it is now.
0: Okay. So, but that said, why, why doesn't it work do you know what i mean in your opinion what what would you say is is fundamentally holding it back i suppose holding the industry back
1: well look there's no sort of simple pithy answer to this because there's the world is complicated as i keep saying there's not going to be a single solution that, that fixes everything um but i think for me in many instances the partnership model was undermined when it was first launched so right. and let me sort of explain what i mean by that um I kind of think when, when business partnership came in, the logic behind it was sound. Um, the you know the, the, the right numbers there that, to support the the logic. Um, everyone understood the concepts, if you like. But what happened was it was kind of bolted on to what was already there. And let, let's talk about what was already there as a context setter. Um, and it was what many people have traditionally called personnel. I think it's evolved. At, it had evolved a little bit by the end of the '90s, early '90s. Yeah but plus or minus it was still kind of in that space and i'm going to go back a little bit to explain what i to to explain the logic here okay um personnel or hr shared service center whatever it was at that stage was was the culmination of 150 years of taylorian uh principles now if people don't know i'm sure most people know about frederick taylor he's the guy that came up with scientific management Um, and the basic concept you go into organizations um, and half the people in the organizations do the do and the other half manage the people that do the do. Yeah. Um, everything is broken down into its constituent elements. Uh, and so everything is standardized. Everything is regimented, driving efficiency, dry, you know, remove any sort of extraneous elements to it. Um, and it's very regimented and it's all about compliance. It's all about, you know, mm. you, you do it this way because this is, this is what we've decided is the best way. Um, and that, those taylor principles have governed business for 150 years. You know, the, the production factory that um, Gerald Ford came up with um, is based upon that. I think Frederick Taylor was actually the, the management consultant that delivered and devised that. Right. So, you know, you've got these, uh, the concept that, that almost organizations are machines that, to be precisely programmed. Right? Right. And therefore, HR personnel, what evolved out of that, was there to uh, drive that. To support that, to uh, service that, sure. so you've got an chart traditional HR organizational design, which was very much built around um, tasks support, you know quantitative metrics, how many people have got PDP, and, you know mm. how many people have we hired this month, you know uh, you know how many people have completed their annual review you know, it, it's very quantitative task based yeah. then so when BP got launched, when business partnering came in and got launched, it was kind of bolted onto the side of that that Was kind of a confusing moment for the audience for the business because, because what you've got is, is hang on, you, you, you've got a business, uh, we've got an HR function that's doing both operations and service, but it's also doing partnership. Mm. So, so what, what does that mean for me? I mean, I'm used to 150 you know, 150 years worth of, yeah. of service, 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 service. I don't quite get what that is over there. Mm. I think that really undermined a lot of HR people or HR business Mm. partners because they were put into this horrible position where they're expected to be both sort of servant and leader or you know servant and partner at the same time and that was they could end up being neither Mm. Uh, and you get they got caught between a rock and a hard place and I wince a little bit when I hear the phrase trusted advisor and it just makes me go it, it, it still sounds like when people say that they don't quite know where they sit. They don't quite know what value they're adding. You know, where, where am mm. I on the hierarchy gradient? Because you know, you know, organisations have become through Taylorian principles incredibly hierarchical. Yes. I don't know where I am, and therefore, where is what am I allowed to do? How can I add value over here? What what's mm. permissible? And I think that has trapped individuals, right? So I go back to the definition of, of true partnership, and, and if you know, just Google it. Look up a true definition mm. of partnership. Um, You've got people that agree to cooperate to advance their mutual interests. So you have mm. the same metrics, you have the same principles, you hold each other accountable to the same standards. It's very egalitarian. But then you kind of look at like an HR business partner job description online mm. and you'll see phrases such as um, serving internal clients, supporting others, driving mm. clients, writing policies, helping other people do you know, industrial relations. That's not partnership. Agreed. Just, not, just not partnership, and that traps these these um, HRBPs who have, I think, certainly the ones I've worked with, huge capability and potential. It traps them in what I call the HR doom loop. <laughs> what's what's the HR doom loop? <laughs> so, so the HR doom loop simply is, you get um, HR is expected to do two things at mm. the same time. It's expected to serve and operate and and do everything that it's always done brilliantly but it's also expected to fundamentally change how it operates and how it adds value. But it has to do with the same amount of resources and the same amount of time and the same amount of budget. And what invariably happens is that it gets overstretched because you've got people that have been pulled in all sorts of different re- directions. And with the best people in the world, HRBPs get sucked into the operational because no one's told yeah. the business that they're not supposed to be sucked into the operational. Exactly. So you get this overstretch. And then as soon as something breaks, and it always breaks because you can't do, you know, two and two don't make 17. <laughs> when it breaks, it's used as evidence. The stick to beat HR with is, oh, you can't do it. You, know, you, know, you don't have the capacity to do it. We asked you to do this and you can't do it. And right. it, it kind of feels like they get sucked into this vortex of, of um, you know, a self-fulfilling vicious cycle where
0: right. underperformance and underinvestment, which breeds underperformance, which breeds underinvestment. Yes makes me feel bad right it's a good point you make actually because as you say yeah and we, we do hear that so often and this resonates so much i remember when there, i mean genuinely we we would be talking to people some time ago who said i don't want a business partner role that style of hr isn't for me i don't want to be a consultant or yeah i mean you mentioned trusted partner another phrase that came up was uncomfortable companion. I remember that. <laughs> it would be a, an uncomfortable companion to your MD or whatever business line manager, you know, you were you were partnering with, I suppose. And, um, and it drove a lot of people towards what I guess we would now call, you know, your employee relations specialism. So there were a lot of HR generalists in the old world who suddenly didn't want to be business partners and, and have gone that way. And they do a great job of it, you know, and it's not to be knocked. That's, that's a more I suppose, a more binary transactional HR service rather than this consultation piece and and, and leadership piece, which I think is where you're driving, isn't it, in terms of what HR should be doing?
1: Yes, yeah. Well, I'm sure our conversation will evolve and we'll we'll get on to it. I keep keep getting stuck on this concept that what we call, what HR calls HR business partnership isn't actually business partnership. Too many interpretations of it don't actually encourage that collaboration and that equality, they actually encourage subordination. And until we address that part of it, we're, we are, we're doing a disservice to the talented HR people out there that are fighting really hard
0: to do the best by their business, mm-hmm. but are doing it one hand tied behind their back. Understood. So, Okay, so in the spirit of being more positive than my first question, what, you know, how should HR structure itself? You know, what, what, what's a better version to offer that best level of, support to the business um so i
1: don't think there's a one size fits all structure okay um and i, I kind of alluded to earlier on you know organizations are uh, are kind of unique and therefore um you're not going to be able to get a vanilla off the shelf so, uh, solution that f- works for everyone right uh, but i do think there are some fundamental principles that that should guide any structure um and i start off with an um, hr should not be supporting it should be leading um, and to me, that's, that's the gold standard, right? That's, that is, um, you know, I, I said earlier on I, I, uh, about, um, people being the key factor of production and I, I'm quoting a guy there called Charles Schwab, who's the CEO and founder of the World Economic Forum. Right. And he wrote a brilliant book called uh, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is, is really, you know, another way of saying the digital age. And he, in there, he said, uh, people are the key factor of production. Mm. Um, and so if they are the key factor of production, if they are the most important thing that business have at the moment, HR should not be in a support role. It should be in the leading role. Okay. Um, the next part is redesigning around users and customers, not internal stakeholders. And this might be a little bit contentious, but I, so I'm going to use an example to explain what I mean by that. Right. Um, I work for an organization, Who Shall Remain Nameless, um, and I was working doing a change within their talent acquisition uh, space. And there were only two metrics that that company cared about within talent acquisition, really. They measured a lot. Of others, but there was only two they really cared about. Right. One was their annual budget, headcount budget. Okay. And two was something they char- charmingly referred to as butts and seats, which was how many people we they hired month for month. Yeah. Okay. And those were two really core financial metrics mm. that were about cost. Actually, yeah. let's let's be honest. They were about cost saving. They were they will be about managing on cost. And that's okay if that's what you want your business to be. They do, they completely ignored users and they completely called customers. You know, the people that wanted to use the products of that business didn't factor. And indeed the users, and I'm going to say users, people, talent and line managers. Mm, Where were they in that, in those metrics, right? So Mm -hmm. so when I talk about um, redesigning about users and customers, it's very much thinking about what is the value you're generating and don't get, not getting diverted away from People who are in the business that try and tell you what their agenda is is important. It's not. It's what the customers and what the users want that's important. Right. And, and really, another way of saying that is focusing on, on maximising talent value, not minimising talent risk or cost. Right. So it's it's just a, it's more of a mindset. And I talk about um, structures then being designed for constant evolution. So not standardisation. It's about designing a structure that is constantly evolving
0: to its environment that sounds challenging i would say i would say, what does it mean tell me a bit more sure um it is
1: challenging but i think the alternative is ineffective okay i'll come on to that so what, what do i actually mean so I, um it is not a new concept um but i very much buy into this idea that of organizations as organisms not as programmable machines as robots okay and what I mean by that is, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're in a competitive environment they're, it, which is constantly changing. They've got constant threats, limited resources. Uh, their success is, is about their inherent variety um, because the more variety you have, and that's another way of saying diversity, the more variety you have g- genetically, the more, uh, capable you are, are able to adapt to your environment? So, you, you know, and, and being able to do it faster than the competition. So I look at organizations absolutely as organisms, not as robots. Right. So when they apply that to HR and HR structures, um, it's the same, you know, HR adds value in a unique way as much as the business adds value to its customers in that type of environment. And so I was inspired by a couple of OD experts, uh, Arthur and Jane Ray Jones, run their own business, but and and did some phenomenal work in in a large FMCG business, um, but the structure that they allocated was almost a or, or the approach to structure was to redesign backwards. And it was to understand what you thought your you know your changing commercial environment was. And they here they talked about the difference being too narrow, like too narrow in what your business is. is the obvious example here. We just DVDs in a, in a shop that we know what happened to them mm-hmm. or too too broad i think it was unilever which is an example it could be procter and gamble um who, you know they did dog food they did batteries they yeah. did beauty <laughs> products they yeah. did I, I, I can't remember anything that. you buy <laughs> pretty much and so, so what does that mean so so i think there's this whole redesign backwards bit which is understanding what your environment is and what you are, what your business actually is hmm. What does your HR function need to do today and tomorrow? As much as you understand what that future might be, um, do the gap analysis. And I, I don't want to tell tell people how to do OD because HR people are experts at OD. But I think it's kind of figuring out what the the, the core workflows are based upon that gap. Hmm. Then, and this is the crucial bit, is have that constant feedback loop to understand how your business is changing. And you're almost putting in what I call the minimum viable structure or the minimal viable product, which is totally stolen from from the product environment, um, is you get an MVP or a Minimal Viable Solution, which gives you the core, but it also means you don't over-engineer it to give you the flexibility. And I think that's that's one of the things that HR kind of has got wrong. We've gone to this idea of a fixed system. You know, let's make it really structured and rigid. And defined, yeah. Exactly, and we'll have these long processes and they'll be very detailed and people have to go through all of them, and this is your role here, and that's your role there, and here's the, and, and, and it becomes unwieldy and complicated and slow. And I, I just think we have to switch away from this concept of, of that fixed view and move towards something which is about, you know, reducing our organisational drag, uh, simple workflows. Um, and the big one for me, and this is probably the biggest one, is is a connected HR function. When we talk about structure, Sorry to think about HR structure in a fundamentally different way. Um, if we think, if, if, if we take, as HR professionals, if we take a step away from looking at what we do from the inside out and look at it from the outside in, and we look at our users and we look at our customers, they have one experience with us, right? Yeah. They have, so if you're a, a, a candidate, you've got one experience finding out about a business via websites, you know, social media sites, whatever it might be. One experience going through the recruitment process. One experience continuation of the same experience hiring into the business and then maybe as an employee experience going through and then one experience going through uh you know promotional review or talent review or or annual performance review whatever it might be and then one experience of of you know alumni and going out the other end it's yeah. one experience with one company as far as they're concerned but what we do as hrs we split it functionally God, we have recruitment over here and recruitment will do this bit and yeah. generous will do this bit and the bps will do this bit and the LNT guys will do this bit and we and we kind of approach the structure functionally based on tasks not upon results mm. not upon the experience that our users go through and that our customers expect and i think if we shift that and think about that fundamentally differently that massively helps us put the right structures in place for
0: hr a, dyna- a more fluid dynamic hr system wow so that Oh, that almost feels to me just listening to you, you know, it's sort of it's turning that business partner piece on its head, which, because I always feel that's what that, that set out. Although it pr- promoted that, that consultative partnering piece, it does co- compartmentalize a lot of the tasks. And I, I think I see that in the HR market. I see people with, they're very, very quick to, to point out their spe- specialism. You know, this is the box I fit in, although I can do a bit of everything. They all like to sell themselves a bit, but they, they all seem to have their their loudest drum that they like to bang, which, which is, so this is big. So if, so for the people out there that are thinking that this is, you know, our HR function is set up, we all have boxes that we live in and, and create those one-off experiences throughout an employee life cycle, which you're saying isn't the best way of working. Where, where do they start if they're looking for a bit of inspiration on how to restructure their you know their processes their structure what do you recommend well um
1: i think if you look at organizations um that are experimenting with new solutions or new ways of structuring themselves so okay. i'm going to go completely mind blank here because obviously we're being recorded and my brain stuff. <laughs> Um, but there's, you know, there, there are management systems like um, autocracy or there um, are you know, player leader sort of models that, that come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, that the key thing is we are seeing within the um, work environment, we're seeing a shift away from role-based uh, work to project-based work. And I think that's the same model that HR will, has to flow. In fact, I think that's the same model that HR has to lead on. So if you think, you know, you've got organizational structures that are pivoting from the um, vertical to the horizontal. So, you know, I've I've got a chapter about this, which I'm sure you've read in the book, (laughs) um, which is very much around um, how you drive value based upon the output, not the, sorry, the outcome, not the output. Mm. So instead of organizing yourself by, with marketing and we're engineering and we're finance, we organize ourselves by we're gonna you know, improve customer experience, which is a, which is a, a horizontal. Mm-hmm. So you construct teams that are geared towards that result, not construct teams that are geared towards those siloed tasks. Yeah. I think the same thing happens for HR, is HR needs to look at how it adds value to its organization, mm-hmm. um, and I know we'll come on to that, um, but then look at the structure that enables them to do that better. And it doesn't make sense to me to organize that around those ta- the traditional thoughts we've had is to identify what that value creation is what what is the you know the value to be gained or the value at risk and then organize around that so it might be you know you're launching a new product and therefore you need a particular um uh, suite of skills in a, in a particular area you're looking at building towards you know that product launch and the success of that product not we need to get c plus plus or python or what you know whatever a skill you might be looking for it's it's a different way of looking at that same challenge and i think borrowing from people like twitter who who organize themselves around oh, is it chapters and uh and uh, i can't remember now they've got weird names for it but okay. but you know different ways of organizing how they produce their products i think that's absolutely the way that hr could copy and evolve
0: interesting so it's as you say looking at it piece by piece and it's interesting because some people are probably sitting back here and and thinking but how do you you know that's a bit knee jerk you know it's very it's it's short term it's how do you build a long-term strategy how do you find those skills to to do that because it's I mean it's hard enough running a a defined HR business partner structure but I I guess it just needs a, a strong leader on a board who can see through all that and learn to move in a, in a project-based way, as you said earlier. I
1: guess. Yeah, I, I think, again, it's, it's this change in mindset from what are the tasks we're doing to what is the value we're, we're delivering. Um, and I think the structures naturally flow from re- redefining what your, what your definition of value is. And it really, that's what we're talking about, the, 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 a new definition of HR value. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've done that, it's actually, there's a lot of places to get inspiration from about how you change the structure to be able to do that. But mm-hmm. to go back to your point about, um, doing it at board level, you know, that's, that's, kind of, that, that's easy and that's hard at the same time. Right. Because certainly from the research I've done and um, from the senior level people I've spoken to, there is huge demand mm. for a much more value-oriented HR function than a task-oriented HR okay. function. I think um, Nick Holly, who works at the Henley Business School, he did this report, It's probably five or six years old now. Um, but he did this really thorough report back in I think it was 2014 about what CEOs wanted from their HR. Um, and it, it was enlightening in that it just it started sort of attacking those shibboleths that we had been so used to for so long within HR, which was, oh, HR just wants us to do, you know, we need to do the basics right. Mm. Yes, but that's table stakes. Yeah, that's the minimum. We need so much more than that. Um, the challenge comes with the rest of the board and being able to um, impress on them Mm. what is vital what's important and you know we we go back to this thing which is hr people asking for a seat at the table the table being the board and and again you cannot create these powerful long-lasting value-adding initiatives if you're sitting at a table waiting for someone to ask you a question right at the table is not enough you can't design and deliver these amazing people interventions if your primary focus is about advice or, you know, facilitating conversations. Well, let me just help you do that. You've got to be so much more proactive. You've got to be, um, you can't wait to be asked. You've got to get on the front foot. Right. And so that to me, for all of HR, but particularly at the board level, and at the senior HR level, is, is being a business leader not a sport leader. Mm-hmm. HR should not be a cost centre or a service center, it is a value center. Uh, you can call it profit center if you want, ha- whatever works for your organization, whatever inflection point you're at, but it is not a cost center. It shouldn't be perceived as such. Again, back to this concept, people are the, the um, uh, key factor of production. Well, if they have the key factor of production, what do we do to optimize the value from them? What can we do for them that enables them to increase their performance and how does HR pull all of that together so they end up doing the best work of their lives. So, you know, I talk about, and I know you haven't necessarily prompted me this, but you've got me on a, on a roll here. Um, I talk about speed to value, not speed to service. Um, and that's a section in the book. And, I, you know, the more I, the more I get into the, that, the more I sort of um, believe in this concept of entrepreneurial HR. Um, and I, I was prompted very much by a guy called um, Sandy Og. And Sandy Og was the chro of unilever and he was there for a couple of decades did some amazing work uh, and then he left to set up his own business and he went into pe private equity and he discovered when he was working private equity there were two things that always had to be right in any um, investment first off they have got to buy the right asset at the right price which is fairly straightforward but the second thing enough of the right people to create value in a compressed time scale right. so for him HR value was about connecting talent to value to create speed. Right. I think that is the, the kernel, the, the, the core of what, of what transforms HR structures in the digital age is to, is to move towards what is driving value in your organization? what does give you competitive advantage? What is your value at risk? How do you get ahead of the curve and ahead of demand? Um, how do you reduce drag? How do you innovate? I think all of those things are absolutely key in terms of repositioning HR at a, at a board level, but throughout the organization. Um, and the last bit I'd say on this, because um, I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, which was a repositioning with the board because they can sometimes be the problem. Um, when I was uh, interviewing for the book and I did a, a lot of stakeholder interviews for the book, okay. um, I interviewed a, an ex-board member of a FTSE 100 company. Um, and I was asking him questions about his, you know, a, a range of different factors, but one of them was around the future of HR and, and what it was. Oh. Um, and I started talking about, uh, you know, people, key factor of production, uh, HR being the most important role. And he just started laughing. And yeah, it, really? it, it was one of those moments where you go, oh, this is, <laughs> this is worse than I thought. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's retired. You know, he's, he was no longer in the business, mm. but the concept it, in his head, that HR was a uh, equal within the board environment was just so far right. from where he was at. Yeah. Now, clearly, he'd been brought up. You know, most of his career was in when HR was personnel, and you, you understand that it was all contextualised. Mm. He was still a senior individual that had all of this baggage, and I think one of the core things that we have to do is get HR to um, do all of that and, and actually be able to. Um, uh sort of um completely reposition it within their environment, within the the rest of the board and the rest of the the structures within the organization um to be able to make sure it filters down further from there.
0: Completely and that's I I mean I I completely agree. And I that that I mean you you mentioned that and this is probably someone as you say who is long retired and HR wasn't on his radar as a strategic leadership function in in that business, but that's that still exists in, in volume. In a lot of businesses, particularly in the SME space, so um, that, that's an ongoing battle. A lot of the people listening will, will understand that. So, well, how do they improve then? So, these HR leaders, what what perhaps skill set or even mindset is missing to to enable this progress, in your opinion? Well, I, I don't think it's fair to say it's
1: it's missing because it might be there. We just can't see it because there's no opportunity for them to show it. Sure. Um, certainly, the HR many of the HR people I've worked with have been amazing really um uh skilled intelligent capable individuals but they've also been really stifled (laughs) so you know i kind of felt their pain when i was working with them but i felt the same way Mm -hmm. um but look if if, let's assume that, that that we're talking about a blank sheet of paper here i'm going to go back to my favorite word which is entrepreneurialism um and this is this is not just about taking risk i mean there's a very traditional view about uh entrepreneurialism being taking financial risks, and but it's not it's not that really for me. It's, it's yes, there's absolutely about financial and analytical acumen. It's about data interrogation. It's it's really understanding the numbers and the metrics and the and the the indicators um, and the opportunity and having that properly evaluated. But it's also about intellectual versatility. It's also about customer centricity. You know, I, I, I think and Ulrich talked about this is that we should be talking you know, he talked about this 25 years ago, which is, we should be thinking about the customers, not the internal stakeholders. And that's tr- as true today, if not more so. Um, and it's also about courage. Uh, I, you know, HR has a bloody hard job, right? And we're, we're battling 150 years of ingrained uh, yeah. <laughs> perception. And, you know, Historical t- perception, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and you know, that's not necessarily uh, anyone's fault, mm. but we've got to change that. We've got to change that dynamic and, that, and the narrative. Um, and it's going to take courage and resilience to be able to do that. Uh, Entrepreneurs, first one. Second one, um, divergent thinking. Um, and I look at divergent thinking as the building blocks of creativity and innovation. Do not underestimate how innovative HR now needs to be. You know, we're talking about the the demand, the increasing demand, the complexity, the volume, variety, velocity of change. We're going to need to change a lot more often than we ever have done. Moving away from this rigid standardisation, uh, compliance approach to a more fluid one the bedrock of that is is innovation or i'm sorry the bedrock of that is actually divergent thinking and if um you want anyone wants to look at something that, that helps understand that look at a video by sir ken robinson and um, so ken robinson is a british educationalist if that is such a word that is based in the us um, and he does this amazing video that talks about it really bemoans the challenges we have within modern academia about um The the way that we we sort of steer children towards a predefined version, how we crush their innovation and how we crush their creativity as they go through school. Um, Look at that video, that's brilliant. But I think HR actually has to have that in spades because creativity or devoted thing is the foundations of of agility and adaptability. And we need to be more agile and adaptable than anyone else. Um, uh, Next one digital literacy. This is not about um, being technical technology will come and go and it will come and go faster than we, than you know about it. So, you know, I talked about the plummeting skills, um, half-life of skills. Um, you know, we'll get new technologies coming in all the time. Learning a technology will be helpful, but it won't be, it won't solve all the problems. So for me, this is absolutely about, um, combining technical reasoning and social skills with the ability to provide technical solutions in the modern world. Um, so it's more of a mindset than a skill set. And then the final one here is EQ. Now you'd argue that HR has EQ in spades. And I, and I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's this huge strength that we should be playing on. Um, but I think it's important to also signpost the difference between EQ and empathy. And I think empathy is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding their point of view. And I think HR is brilliant at doing that. However, I think the flip side of that. Um, is eq is actually about managing your emotions and the emotions of others and i just don't and i think that's a huge opportunity that's slightly untapped for hr at the moment you know it's almost in the coaching space that i think i'd like to see a lot more hr people go
0: okay interesting so that's a great opportunity for them to yeah develop and hone their skills and 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 look at the offering i mean we we dipped into both finances and technology uh in, in that That answer. And I suppose that's something I hear over and over again from HR professionals frustrated with their their function service offering. So, you know, how can and how does HR justify the the, the expenditure effectively to continue this automation process? A lot of transactional HR is going over to tech, and those roles are falling away and, and new skills are being brought in as a result. Um, which, which allows a more, I suppose, a more agile project-based approach, which is what we're talking about getting to. So, I mean, yeah, firstly, can HR justify that, that spend? Will businesses spend the money?
1: Well, there's the trite answer, which is can you afford not to, right? So, because, you know, the, the change is happening anyway. The automation, AI, it, it's happening regardless. And you can't stop other organisations from inventing new ways of doing HR. So the question then sort of becomes if machines are able to do anything repeatable, if, if we don't own that and take control of that and do it first, it's going to be done to us. And if it comes down to, do you want to control your own destiny? Um, so the question is, can you, can you um, justify the expenditure? I think it, it, it's kind of the wrong way of looking at it for me, which is it's not about really justifying the expenditure. It's about articulating the value creation that comes from Making those changes, um, and I, you know, I said it before: HR is not a cost center; it's a value center. It's not about tasks; it's about results. And so, if you can articulate the change based upon, here's what we can do, here's the value we can add, and you have to put numbers around it. If, if you're entrepreneurial HR, you have to put numbers around it. You have to put, you know, uh, shared risk. You have to tie that back to the commercial objectives of the business. But if you can structure that in such a way, then that becomes a much more binary decision for the people that might be approving your budgets and you know the simplest way of putting it is you're not actually you're not asking for more money you're changing how you spend your money in a more cost effective way which cfo and which ceo isn't going to be uh, supportive of you going let's take the money and extract more value from it
0: okay interesting all right so it's a It's still getting that business case together, isn't it? And uh, I mean, and, and the good news is we are seeing that more and more and we're seeing far more HR data roles in the market now. There, there is a broader skill set there and, and the tech obviously gets better and better and better as each year passes. Um, interesting. So, okay, my final question for you, Gavin. So a lot of what we've spoken about today does point in that agile direction. So, you know, ad, agile HR is... It, it exists, a lot of people are doing it. Is, is that the way forward as a model? What, what's the alternative to Agile HR if we're looking forward now for HR? Um, well, I kind
1: of look at it as that Agile is sort of the output rather than the input. Um, I, we want Agile business, so you know, let, let's go back a step. Um, Businesses want to be agile. So you, if you want an agile business, you need an agile workforce. If you want an agile workforce, you need agile workflows. If you want agile workflows, you need agile processes, systems, blah, blah. So you need an agile HR that can do all of those sorts of things. So it's okay. um, I think it's a truism, almost. Yes, we want agile. Um, but I think it's more than that. I think it's, it's building on this idea of of, of being just about agile. And it being, you know, back to this idea about organizations as, as organisms, not as, as programmable machines. Mm-hmm. It's about this awareness of what's happening outside the business, not just what's going on inside. It's about your uh, genetic diversity, as in uh, the people that resist in your organizations and the breadth of their skills and capability, knowledge and experience mm-hmm. that um, gives you the building blocks of adaptability. It's about the ability to change faster than the competition. So. Agile for me sort of manifests in a slightly different way. Um, in that, you know, if, if we go back to the speed to value, if we go back to the innovation, if we go back to getting ahead of the curve, if we look at self-sufficiency, because that's really what many HR functions need to, to, to do is is become so much not only so much more used to this change uh, and and adaptive uh, and being able to adapt, but not having to outsource it to external consultancies all the time. they, they need to become agile themselves. And so, um, you know, we're back to this entrepreneurial HR, which is really how do we um, create a business within a business that actually is, is thinking much more, how do I add value? What are my factors? What are my variables? What I deliver at the end of that is an adult HR, but what, how I, what I put into it is much more of a business-driven, commercial-driven entity that's less about that, the, you know, the processing of tasks and
0: much more about the creation of value. Understood. Hey, look, Gavin, you've been very generous with your time today because I know I know you're busy. But I suppose what I wanted to put out there was, if for the HR folk listening to this uh, or watching it, if if there are things that you really agree with or or strongly disagree with, I mean, we've we've given the business partner model a bit of a, a bit of a you know a bit of a kicking today. Well, we we've certainly dismantled it. Um, we've talked about the skill sets required to be developed. You know, if there are if you've got a view on this, I'd really love to see your comments. And I'm sure, Gavin, you'd, you know, perhaps one day a little roundtable event we could do. You know, if there's someone who disagrees, it'd be good to to take this forward. But um, I'm assuming if are you happy to for people to reach out to you through Absolutely. LinkedIn, I'm guessing is the obvious one. But. Uh, they could LinkedIn
1: or uh, my website, uh, peppermoth.live. There's a contact me thing. That people can use, um, you know, and send me questions. You know, you doesn't uh, you don't need to have to um, commit to any level of, of of relationship. You can ask me questions there, um,
0: and I'll do my best to, to answer them as best as I can. Fantastic. Hey, look, it's been uh, it's been great to reconnect with you, Gavin, because uh, we've been talking for too many years. We've discovered earlier, um, but uh, really uh, lovely to to have you on this. Thanks for being a guest and being so generous with your time. Well, thank um, you very much. It's been enjoyable. Great stuff. I will um, obviously, um, you know, get this out there. We're always looking for guests. So if you're listening and watching this and think you've got something to say, please do uh, get hold of me via LinkedIn is the easiest way. And um, we will see you all next week. Thanks, Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, going Bye.